Podcast. I'm John Paul Batum, your host. Our theme and our message is intended to be a wide open forum, hopefully thought provoking, but at the very least entertaining. My father, the late John Batum, Hall of Fame broadcaster, started the Strictly Personal Commentary Show back in the late 90s. This is my attempt to keep that going. Throughout the many podcasts, I will be highlighting different audio clips of his broadcast history. I hope you'll enjoy listening to that. Our commentary, relevant and interesting, all the while we will be hosting different guests along the way. All of the commentary provided is strictly personal, and with that, let's get started. My guest today is Blair Munn. Blair and I go back uh, all the way to the beginning of high school and have stayed in touch throughout the many years, and uh, we're going to catch up with him today and find out what he's been up to, but before we do that, let's listen in on John Battle. This is the best of the John Badham Show. Welcome. Welcome back. My guest, David Fisher. And this is a man who probably has met more hockey players, more baseball players, more football players, more athletes than anyone in Peterborough. Well, it could be true, John. I don't know. I don't know if we keep stats on those things, but I have met an awful lot of people in the sporting world, in all of those sports and other ones, NASCAR racing and LPGA golf and all other sports. It's been a great ride. It's been a great ride, but okay, all these sports. Uh, is there one sport? We'll get to individuals in a minute, but one sport that uh, David Fisher sort of likes the best? I played high school basketball, so I've always had a soft spot spot in my heart for that game. And uh, Julius Irving was my favorite player. I had the opportunity to go to Philadelphia to do a chapel on a Friday night for the 76ers and another one on Sunday afternoon. Friday night, Dr. J had the flu. He didn't play. I didn't get to meet him. Sunday morning, I'm in the room where they have chapel, and I'm waiting for the players to come in. First guy that comes in, Julius Irving. He walks over to me, shakes my hand. I say, David Fisher, you're the guy from Peterborough who wrote me those letters. They came just at the right time to encourage me. And so <laughs> I was on cloud nine meeting my, my all-time favorite athlete. Excuse me. Make, yeah, you just to meet your idol type of thing. You exactly. Know? I go, wow, yeah. you know. All right. So, you, so even at this stage of your life at that time, um, you know, you've been around the ball and this sort of thing, but there's still that little special, special moment when you sort of go, wow, that's Dr. J. Yep, there, there still are those moments for sure. Yep. I want to go back a little bit to um, to the very early days. And I, and I mentioned this to you just before we came on the air here. The, the wonderful story and the, one, uh, the wonderful interview that John Pohl had with Gary Carter's wife. I did not know her, but you you and your wife obviously knew the Carters very well. Very well, yes. And she, she was she was great out there. I thought she was one of the best that, that we've had on the station. I know. I know, and so it was my wife that arranged that whole thing, and Sandy was more than willing to to call in and uh, do the interview. And, uh, and she yes, yes, mm-hmm. it was great. 
let's go back to Gary Carter days. Uh, you got to know him pretty well. And uh, you said something to me that he was somewhat instrumental in you becoming a chaplain in sport, if you will. Yes. Well, back in, well, back in the uh, 70s and early 80s, I owned the Christian bookstore in Peterborough. And I, I always had an interest in getting Bibles out to athletes and, I mean, not to shove it down their throats, make Bibles available. And so because the Expos were my favorite team, no Blue Jays at that point, that was back in 1976, I wrote to Gary, and uh, I had written him a few times before that, wrote to Gary and said, uh, could we arrange somehow for me to present Bibles to the whole Expo team? He wrote back and he said, yes, and gave me a date in May of 76. Come on down. We'll, we'll make the presentation part of our chapel service. And uh, all Major League Baseball teams had started having chapel services in 1973. So this is three years later. And I find myself driving to Montreal. I left real, real early on a Sunday morning, driving with this box of Bibles, thinking... This is this is exciting. This is trying, to, trying to make sure my motives were right and not just going to give out Bibles so, so I can meet, meet some ball players. Ball players. I, so I, I get to the ballpark. I, I never thought of that, Colin. You and I should try something like that. <laughs> anyway, Gary had arranged it. I met him that that Sunday morning. Met a lot of guys. Tim Foley is somebody that I really oh, kind of clicked yeah, with. And there's a great story about about Foley. But uh, Andre Thornton was a player that had just been traded to the Expos that week from the Chicago Cubs. He and I became very close friends uh, as a result of that that Sunday in Montreal way back in '76. But Gary got that whole process started. Hello. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Where are you? Must have had a COVID moment. <laughs> what the hell? I thought maybe I was losing my mind. Uh, I checked the email. It says, yeah, March 10th, 3 p.m., not March 3rd. <laughs> had a COVID moment. Oh, well, it happened. What is that new? Uh, it's probably that uh, the next strain of COVID. Uh, apparently, <laughs> it affects a certain age group. <laughs> They call it the, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, it's the Nile virus, uh, or it's Nile version C. Oh, really? Some people refer, some people refer to it as um, C-Nile. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nile and, and, and for those And for those who don't accept that, uh, apparently their strain is called uh, D or D-Nile. <laughs> <laughs> the D version of the Nile. <laughs> Gotcha. I okay. So here's the first test. How the heck? What? How did we meet? How did we meet? Yeah. I I suspect it was at um. It was probably on the football field. Okay. Yeah. Could have been. Yeah. Uh, because the first recollection I have would have been uh, when we were playing um for Clarkson. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that that would have been, I believe, in grade ten, because I was too small to be permitted to play on in grade nine. And um, who was the coach then? Dorn. Yeah. Dorn. He was so impressed by how I showed up for every practice. <laughs> Uh, regardless, regardless of whether I had any skills or not, uh, you know, he decided to lead me on um, the team. I believe I was on third string, if there was such a thing. Right. And um, 
and then from there, what it ended up uh, probably at a um, at a party or two, and then I and then I, I suspect also would have been through your acquisition of um, uh, what was that car, the yellow one, the, um, the Chevelle, yeah, the Chevelle. But it's funny you mentioned that because I was talking to, to Wally the other day and. Uh, he was bringing up some of the old memories of when we went up to the uh, cottage, and so we would have obviously met there and got to got to know each other quite well back back in those days as well. Yeah, I suspect that. Uh, well, that would have been during that same period of time, right? Because we yeah. obviously didn't start writing until we got to Clarkson. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So. So you you grew up. You grew up in Park Royal, and I was sort of on the uh, more over the Clarkson side, but uh, Clarkson Road side of the area. But uh, you grew, grew up in in Clarkson. You were there pretty much your whole life, weren't you? Yeah, uh, I, I, I we moved to we moved to Clarkson. Um, I want to say I was probably three. Or so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I know. I, I know. I uh, I know. I started kindergarten when uh, we were in Clarkson. I went to um, St. Louis. Yeah. For the first for the first three and a half years, and then uh, was transferred to uh, St. Helens. Went in, opened up, which was halfway through grade three. I stayed there right up until going to Clarkson. Yeah. Okay. So we get through Clarkson. Uh, what did you do out of high school, Blair? Did you go to university? I don't think you did. No, I left uh, Clarkson in, um, I want to say, the summer of 79. Right, yeah. I think you and I both did. And I went to Drayton Valley, Alberta. Drayton Valley, Alberta. Yeah, my buddy... Uh, my buddy um, Don Fish and I got on a, um, a bus. Right. That's right. I forgot all about that. And drove, I think it took us 54 hours to get from Toronto to Edmonton. Yeah. And then from there, we went to Calgary. And uh, from there, we went to Train Valley. <laughs> and when we got to Drayton Valley, uh, we lived the first, I want to say, three and a half, four months in a, in a tent. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. While we, while we were doing, um, we ultimately ended up getting into oil field construction, so pipelines. Okay, yeah. And, and the reason why we ended up doing oil field construction or pipelines was because on the way out west, and even when we got out west, you know, we 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 had we had attended many many interviews, talked to a lot of lot of people about uh, you know different jobs, uh, opportunities, etc. And a lot of the a lot of the people we had met had either worked on oil rigs, yeah. in mines, had done a lot of stuff that uh, I, I think because of the, the fact that many of the guys that we met had either lost fingers, arms, limbs, or whatever. That's so, we had no interest in doing that kind of work. <laughs> so we, when we when we stumbled across this uh, oil field construction or pipeline, um, it was by a fluke. One of the guys in the tent couldn't sleep one morning. He got up and went and went off on a walk. Came back at the end of the day and he said, "Oh, I got a job." So the next morning we all got up and 
and went into the same place. And uh, it was literally a trailer in the middle of Drayton Valley. And uh, we sat in the chair and uh, we said, do you got any work? And he goes, have a seat. Uh, literally an hour later, we were we were off to go start working. And I think it was probably three or four days before he even had us do any paperwork. <laughs> it was one of these really strange um, working environments in that many of the guys that we worked with were farmers. So it wasn't surprising that they really didn't know who was coming in from day to day. Because if, there were, if a crop was due or, you know, their cattle had to be whatever... Um, you know, off they would go, and they would take they would take off days. So, because we didn't have any any other obligations, Don and I were pretty much there every single day, day in and day out, and we worked seven days a week uh, for probably the first couple of months. Yeah, it's amazing what you do when when you're young and you get your first job or your first full time job. You kind of pour yourself into it. Eh? Oh, it's crazy. We. Uh, so you'd get to the office at about 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, you'd wait for the crew to show up. You'd go, you'd gas up the truck. You're probably about a half hour, 45 minute drive to get to the job site. By that time, depending on who you're working with, if you're working with a couple of the union guys, like the welders, uh, it'd be time for a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you take a break. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it was really hard work, but uh, it was long hours. Uh, so we'd be, we'd, we'd be there at 6 o'clock in the morning and we probably wouldn't get back home. Ooh, some nights it would probably be 7, 8 o'clock at night before we got home. Just in time to have a quick shower and, uh, you know, hit the pool hall or uh, hit the pub or, you know, or both. Yeah. Well, how long, how long did you do that for? Uh, we were in Drayton Valley, I want to say, for just over half a year. Um, okay. And then what happened was it, it just got just too, too, too cool. Um, because you're working outside, and I, I guess maybe partially because we were just inexperienced, unprepared. You know, working in minus 40 weather with steel-toed boots was probably not the smartest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, after suffering through many of those days, uh, we just decided to, to pull the pin and thought we had saved up enough money, so... Back to Ontario, we went. Um, so, a so of, what year would that have been? That would have been so. That's seventy nine. That still, that would have been uh, that would have been early end of or early nineteen. No, it would have been the beginning of nineteen eighty. Eighty. Now you uh, you became a father a lot earlier than a lot of us. So what uh, what what? Tell me a little bit about that. What, how, how you become a father? Yeah, or? you can you give me those details too. But no, I was just curious because I know David was born probably around that same time. Yeah, he was born uh, 12th of July, 1979. That was part of the reason why uh, we decided to go and try to make some money was because we didn't have any. Right, okay. Uh, so after, after, you know, um, after making some money out there, um, came back home. And I think, I want to say in around the January-ish, February-ish, went back to, went to Sheridan College to get my equivalency, because I figured if I was ever going to get a job, I probably needed these, have it at least be 12. Yeah. So I signed up for that, got that. At the same time, I, um, I took a job with, uh, with uh, Brewers Retail uh, through, a friend, through a friend of the family. Um, you know the Walkers. Yep. 
Uh, so I took a job with uh, Mr. Walker in uh, Applewood Plaza. Okay, I remember that now. <laughs> See, now my memory's kicking in. I'm starting to remember something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I worked there for, actually, I think I worked there for a couple of years, but I worked there as I was going to school. My sister-in-law was working for uh, Richardson Greenshields downtown in Toronto. Okay, and, I didn't know that. And she was working for a branch office. And she let me know about a um, opening, or said, you know, we want to give these guys a call. So I went and, and went down to the big city. Never been to Toronto, really by myself. Went down, um, went for the interview. I think that was about a week later when I started as a um, as a messenger at Richardson and Greenshields. Yeah, you were a runner back then. I remember you started right from the ground floor. Yeah, so I started there, and I think it was. It was probably only about four or five months later when, oh, hold on, maybe it was a year later. Of course, I should know this, but when, when Diane and I got married, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember if I was at Richardson's for six months or a year. It doesn't matter. We got married around that time anyways. Yeah, and I remember the wedding. I mean, I was at your wedding, and it was a good party. It was a good time. Um, so, yeah, you guys were one of the first to, to get married out of high school, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we were. Uh, and that was, uh, wow, that was 40, oh, no, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should know this. I guess we're coming up on our, our 40th because David is turning 42. Yeah, yeah, got to be close. Yeah, he, was, yeah he, was two, he was two when we got married. Um, so what... Uh, so how are you managing your time and occupying your time, I guess, through COVID now? Are you working from home? Or where? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah we're, we're, I guess, technically very lucky in that um, about, I want to say, a year or two before uh, Diane had retired, and uh, we moved out here to Niagara-on-the-Lake. Um, and when COVID hit... Nobody, I don't think any, well, I don't, I don't know anybody who would have predicted how long this thing would have gone on for. Yeah, I know. But in the early days, it was, it was, it was crazy busy. It was, you know, I was probably doing excessive number of, of meetings every single day, most of which were on the phone, on the laptop, on the, you know, WebEx, Zoom, whatever you want to call it. Not only with my guys, but also with, uh, Many people in the industry is people are trying to scramble around of how we're going to continue to do this and that and you know try to make changes and uh, and such. So the beginning was 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 very very busy, but we were fortunate in that we had started I guess a couple of years earlier uh, in a um, starting to practice work from home, encouraging people to take at least one day a week kind of thing to test it out and see if it would work. And so as a result, I put and I want to say of about 900 people, all but about 20 of them would have already had laptops and the ability to work from home. What had never been tested is the ability for everybody to work at home on the same on the same day. Yeah, right. So that was really the, the true uh, initial uh, sort of hurdle to get over was... Uh, was that, and uh, after a few days, and we, you know, we, we came up with several contingency plans just in case something went wrong, but um, we, we fared extremely well. Um, it went better, even better than we had, could even have envisioned. 
Um, all of a sudden, people were able to, to work from home. Uh, we were able to keep up with uh, all of our production. Um, I was able to, uh, you know, basically work from home you know, five days a week or whatever yeah, number of days to, to, uh, to get the stuff done. Now it's been, I guess I was saying to somebody the other day, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary of working from home. And in the last year, I've been to my office once. And that was to pick up a pair of eyeglasses, uh, a chair, and uh, some stuff I left at my desk. Uh, eerily similar to me, yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, 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 it's so much different than it ever has been. Um, we're still doing as much work. I mean, the, the one area that we did suffer a little bit was that we had, um, we had some new client business in the hopper that we, yeah. were, getting, we were getting down to the short strokes on. In, in having them uh, come on to our platform. And as a result of COVID, uh, they put the brakes on. And understandably, there was nobody that was going to jeopardize their business during COVID uh, on an unproven you know, back office system or make a, make a huge change like that. Um, so that, that cost us some revenues, but you know, um, where, we, you know, where we took it on the chin there uh, we were very fortunate in that, um, you know, the rest of our business and the rest of our existing client base were able to sort of fill in the gap. So come the end of the year or the end of 12 months, we found ourselves in actually fairly good, you know, considering everything that the, you know, that the industry and the world has gone through. I think we, we fared exceptionally well. Uh, not as good as, as some, but uh, a lot far, far better than, than, than many. Um, right. So yeah, you've been very lucky. So now it's time to talk about uh, you know sort of the return to work or post COVID uh, back to the office. And, uh, yeah, there seems to be more focus about the uh, how the uh, future is. I guess now they've got a little more certainty around it. But again, the dates are still a little bit foggy depending on how this goes. But with vaccines coming, I guess they sort of see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I was just thinking, I have moved around, I thought a lot, but you've moved more than I have, but you've been extremely fortunate in your real estate transactions over the years and you've done extremely well. But, uh, I was thinking too, we, we, for a time almost had cottages next to each other as well. <laughs> it never quite worked out that way. I was selling as you were buying it, uh, but we've always kind of lived pretty close. We don't really now because you're out at Niagara, but we've always lived pretty close to each other. Other than, other than I still I still rent that basement apartment in Oakville. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> off, of, off of my son. Well, I mean, I, I, um, that's right. You have a place entered, that's not too far from here. Yeah. yeah. When we when we entered into that deal, it was it was three of us. So you know, he was we we entered into a lease. So you know, just because of COVID. Um, you know, I, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna sort of leave him in the lurch as far as you know, yeah, not right. paying my rent. So that's coming up in. Um, I guess that's coming up uh, for renewal in April. Um, they're they're thinking that they are likely going to be moving. They just haven't figured out yet whether that's going to be domestic move or, you know, uh, last time we spoke to them, they were even thinking about doing an international move. Right, right. Well, I wanted to uh, 
I wanted to get you on, Blair, because I wanted to have an opportunity to talk about the Kelly Shires uh, Breast Cancer Fundraiser that you're so uh, involved with and have been for some time. What caught my eye was the fact that you updated us on the uh, on the fundraising amounts over the years, and I was blown away to see that you're you guys are over seven million dollars since inception, and. Um, I just thought, wow, I mean, maybe you could give me a little bit of uh, I mean, I kind of remember early days when you got started with this, but give us a little background on Kelly Shires and how all that came about. Yeah, it seems like a lot of money until you sort of put it into the context of 22 years, which is by way of, of background. <clears throat> hey, like, who is uh, Kelly Shires? Kelly Shires was a young lady who... Um, went to school, actually went to Clarkson. Uh, she, uh, uh, she was in, uh, I guess Diane knew her through school. And um, it was through a mutual friend of ours that we had learned that uh, she had this charity that was going. Now what happened with Kelly was that her and her husband had owned a, um, a marina, landlocked marina in Oakville. Okay. And they were talking along, you know, uh, two of them self-employed. One was the head mechanic. The other one was running the books. And then all of a sudden, Kelly uh, contracted uh, breast cancer. And at the time, she was, uh, I want to say, three or four months pregnant. Um, and as a result uh, of how far gone or how far along her cancer was, had progressed, um, she had to terminate the birth. And uh, because they were self-employed and really, you know, in early early days of their business, didn't have any insurance, didn't have any medical coverage. So as a result of having to combat uh, breast cancer, uh, they ended up having to sell their business in Oakville, sell their home, and move up into um, uh, Midland, in the Midland area, uh, where they couldn't stand a chance to uh, try and pay for some of their um, some of the treatments that she had to go through. After about a year or two, uh, you know, she turned to her friend, her best friend, uh, Susie, and said, you know, I can't be the only woman who has gone through this who either doesn't have insurance, is a stay-at-home mom, self-employed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I can't be the only one. So I'd like to do something. And the two of them started chatting, and, and she really didn't like golf. And for whatever reason, they they stumbled across, they stumbled upon this uh, snowmobile. They they both like the right. snowmobile ride. Yeah, so I was going to ask you. It's, it's unique in the sense that it's a fundraiser around snowmobiling. Right. So they decided that it was something they liked to do. You know, they could uh, do the ride. They could raise awareness. So the first year, apparently, even though it rained, uh, I believe they managed to raise about $10,000 that year uh, to help financially assist uh, breast cancer patients. Um, it went on for a number of years and just constantly or continuously grew, as did the demand. There were many years in the beginning where they were getting more requests for support, for financial assistance, and they had donations that were coming in. So often they would run out before the end of the year would run out. And I think it was around year, I want to say year two or year three, when Diane and I were introduced to the event, 
uh, Diane knew Kelly and, and was interested in it. So uh, at the time, I think it was, they were holding it up in Cranberry Cove. Uh, we went to um, we went up to check it out um, and sort of instantly uh, fell in love with the whole premise of what they were doing. You know, the fact that they they you know they weren't in it to try to find a cure; that they were in it to try to help financially assist those that were battling breast cancer that you know didn't have the wherewithal to either afford drugs, wigs, prosthetics, pay for daycare, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we started, uh, I think, the following year. Uh, Diane became a participant, uh, and I just started volunteering. Uh, up years later, Belly's uh, husband asked me if I wanted to um, take over responsibility for the grounds crew, which is you know the, the group of individuals that is responsible for you know setting up the team, helping un- helping to unload sleds, load sleds. Uh, you know, set up the flags and banners, and and, and through the event, you know, if um, if there's any breakdowns, we'll go out and uh, rescue them, if you will. Uh, make sure they get, make sure they all get back safe. And that's been going on for probably, I think we're on our twentieth year now, Diane and I. Which is which is uh, which is which is, which is remarkable, but at the same time, it, it has grown. Uh, significantly, there's so many more volunteers. There's so many. Like, how many people back then versus now are involved? Yeah, I'm not sure what the real number would have been. We actually had, you know, it's interesting because there were some of the early years uh, before Kelly's passing where the numbers were higher, but the dollars were lower. Mm. I'm not really sure why that was. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, you know, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that most of the money that we're able to raise these days comes more from corporate than it does from individual participants. Yeah. So even though, you know, technically we may have fewer riders or participants at the actual event, the ones that we do have, and especially the corporate sponsors we have, have really over the years stepped up or been able to step up time and time again, you know, be that factory rec, uh, be that Royal Distributing, be that Bombardier Recreation, uh, Choco, uh, FXR. I mean, there's just a whole load of, of uh, key sponsors that uh, we rely on every year to provide that financial support. And I think, you know, through this whole thing, we've been able to hear so many different stories from people. Mm-hmm. You know, raising through our fundraising efforts. You know, there's, there's, to my knowledge, there hasn't been anybody that I know of that doesn't know somebody that hasn't been affected in some way by by cancer and or by breast cancer. So it, it, I can't say it's really been a difficult thing for us to do fundraising, uh, but it's something that we, uh, we feel sort of obligated to do, you know, to, to try to help those that, uh, that need that financial assistance. And uh, we've, we've actually been pretty good at it, I guess. Um, I want to say, and I, I, I wasn't sort of, I wasn't tracking the dollars that we were bringing in from the beginning, but, just in the last 10 years, I think between Diane and I, uh, I think the last number I looked at was just north of $250,000 that the two of us had, had brought in, um, which is, again, That's just great. a very small of what the, you know, the seven, seven, over $7 million that charity has brought in over the years. Yeah, that's fantastic. I just got blown away by that. I just think it's outstanding. 
and I know that even in the early years, we were, you know, we were, we were sitting there contemplating the day when, you know, this would come to an end and, and, you know, we would be, we would be glad to see it go for nothing else, but it would mean that, you know, finally there's been a cure to end the damn thing. And here we are 20 years later and the demand is greater than it's ever been. We're bigger than it's ever been from, you know, even insurance companies now refer people to, uh, Kelly Shire's breast cancer uh, snow run or Kelly Shire's breast cancer uh, trust uh, for financial support, you know, as one of the, um, as one of the recommendations. Wow. That's fantastic. Uh, which is why our demand continues to uh, increase year after year. Well, that's, that's, that's amazing. And congratulations on the success of that and, you know, good on you for staying and getting involved and staying involved and, uh, and, ke- and keeping it going so I just commend you for that for sure yeah we have an incredible Ontario events committee um, which is I guess formed around the co-founder Susie which was you know, which was a very dear friend of Kelly's from the beginning uh, she's you know she's she's pretty much dedicated her life to this event um, she does this, she does this all on a volunteer basis um, you know throughout the years we've only ever had I think about a half a person who gets paid, and that's uh, that was an office administrator. Right. Uh, everybody else, everybody else uh, works on a volunteer basis, uh, and that's just so that more money can go to where it's where it's needed. So what did, no, you, what, did what did you end up doing this year? Could you did you do the snow run or did you have to because it's virtual? Would you, you no? You? So so this year we actually spread it out over the month of, of February. Okay. Um, and a, and a typical event for us, uh, a typical event for me, would be that I would go up on a Wednesday. And then starting on, on Thursday, we'd started setting up the staging area, get all the banners up. Uh, Friday, the teams would start arriving, and you know, you'd sort of get all of the riders into their, into, their, into their teams, check them in, help them unload their sleds. There would be a, um, <clears throat> a meet and greet on Friday night uh, where, you know, where the women would get together and uh, have a lot of fun and, uh, you know, tell stories from, you know, what's, what's been going on for the last year or so. Um, Saturday morning, there would be um, an opening ceremony where, you know, all the writers would come down at the same time. Uh, you know, we would hear a couple of words from Susie. We would have a moment of silence. They would do a big uh, Shania Twain song. And um, and then it would be sort of ladies start your engines, and then off the teams would go. Uh, we would dismantle uh, the area, go over to where our lunch spot would be located, set everything up again, welcome them when they when they got there. As they were in having lunch, we would you know if if needed, we would fuel up their sleds, get them all ready, so that when they came out, you know they just had to jump on their sleds and you know. It was Ride back to the to the resort. Uh, again, we would dismantle, go back to the go back to the main facility. Again, welcome them back in, help them load, and then Friday, Saturday night we would typically have a, a major banquet, which again would you know we'd raise quite a few dollars in having um, you know silox and live ox and etc. Uh, it would be you know like an awards awards night where we would recognize sponsors. And uh, certain participants uh, with certain awards. So this year, in trying to keep with some of that, we, we did have an, a virtual opening ceremony, which was a, which was 
all sort of, let's say, all pre-recorded in that it looked like it was it was all live, but it was all pre-recorded where a number of the Ontario Events Committee members uh, made videos and uh, one of our um, one of our team, you know, put all this together. So it went off actually fairly good. And the, and the idea with this year was uh, you could ride, you could walk, you could run, you could, you know, snowshoe, you could ski, you could do whatever you wanted to do. Uh, but just help us to raise awareness and, you know, raise desperately needed funds. Uh, we dropped the registration amount. Uh, we had still, we still had online registration. We still had online donation capability. Uh, so that was the opening ceremonies. Then about a week later, we had a, in, in lieu of a meet and greet, they had a Zoom call uh, where they ran a couple of activity, activities like um, uh, they, they they actually sold bingo tickets and, and played a bingo game. People wow. were able to catch a lot. Well, it's good to get, you guys have so many different things that people can get involved in now. Yeah, and then, so, and then the end of it, for the formal gala or the award ceremony, we had a, we had a this past weekend, uh, we had a closing ceremonies where, again, there was um, presentations of awards and recognition of sponsors, uh, and then they did the main draw for the, you know, there's a, a raffle that we do every year, Royal Distributing and Factory Rec. Uh, and BRP donated a uh, snowmobile, so they do a raffle to see who wins that. And then, you know, just for good fun, typically we'll try to call the person who won it and get that on video. You know, with a room full of people, it's, it's hilarious because people will think that you're scamming them when you're phoning them saying, Paul, you just won a snowmobile. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the room, the room explodes in noise, and the people think, oh, I'm being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was pleasantly surprised that we were able to. I mean, the last couple of years, we I think we've exceeded over five hundred thousand. Uh, but you know, we're at four hundred ten thousand dollars this year. I think it's still a remarkable, given everything that we're going through. Absolutely, not, like, uh, yeah. it was an incredible testament to uh, how strong a foundation we had before COVID. And uh, I'm looking forward to when we can get back to that uh, that physical event and. Uh, as I, as I reminded most of them when I was speaking to them was uh, catching up on, uh, you know, sort of getting all the double hugs next year when we get back together again. That's right, yeah. That'll be good. And uh, I'm sure it'll happen. 2022, it look, at least it looks promising right now. And But that's uh, that's fantastic. Now you got, uh, by the sounds of it, a 40th anniversary potentially coming up and uh, God knows what else. Uh, you're always... Uh, one of my friends that is always busy doing something, going somewhere. You don't, you're, you're not an idle guy, that's for sure. You're always in, into something, doing something, traveling somewhere. Um, I guess there's not a lot going on with COVID and everything else. But uh, what is next for you? What, what's going on? Well, one of the things in the hopper is um, our oldest, David, mm-hmm. is planning on um, getting married next year in Scotland. Oh, wow. So that's a, that's a trip that we're, you know, we're all looking forward to. Uh, uh, so a few of us will be flying over there and celebrating. Um, it's our little destination wedding. Celebrating that destination wedding. Yeah, it sounds like uh, that could be good fun. Yeah, normally, by, you know, it's interesting because normally uh, within the last 12 months, we would have probably been down to Turks and Caicos, I don't know, right. three or four times. So yeah, we're kind of going through Turks withdrawal. 
Yeah. Yeah, you guys would yeah. uh, usually are on your annual Turks and Caicos trip by now. Yeah, or it's, it's even been a couple of years since we've been down to the Bahamas to um, jump on the boat. Uh, I got a reminder this morning, I think it was uh, another picture of the last time we were down there. <laughs> Just like a whole lifetime ago. Yeah, anyway. yeah. So uh, I know Diane's retired, but uh, what's your timeline? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you, had to, if you had to ask me that question three or four years ago, I probably would have said uh, ideally between three and five years. Um, I think every year that goes forward, it, it, I think I tack on another three to five years. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think mine got extended a little bit as well. <laughs> and that's fine. I, I think because of my ability to be able to work from home, I, you know, I don't, I don't miss the commute, even if it's only an hour or two one way. Um, yeah. You know, you add that up over a period of weeks, months, it's a lot. So even just the wear and tear on the, on the body. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not looking forward to... Um, so tell, but at this, at, at this point, our, spend, our, our rate of spend has been a little higher than I would have hoped at this, this junction in our life, um, you know, for whatever reason. But yeah. Tell me a little bit about the new trailer that, uh, that uh, cottage on the Shirkston there. You've got, a, I, I saw some, some, some posts there, and it looked like you got something new than... From the one that I was out to see uh, a couple of years ago. Yes, so we we uh, we were back in the woods, and uh, in I, I guess um, instead of trying to pay for a waterfront home, we decided to go waterfront uh, at Churkston, and so we traded. Uh, actually, we ended up trading a couple of times. So the, we we sold the one that we were in. We bought one that was going to be ripped out, and we we're going to end up putting in a new one. But before that sort of got off of the ground, uh, another property right next door came available, which is right on the water, and it was it looked nice. really really nice, and it is really really nice. Uh, so we were literally in this one place a couple of weeks before we put an offer in on the on the other one that we could literally move in and, and start enjoying. Yeah, and it's literally it is right on the water. I mean, unfortunately, a little too close to the water uh, last November. So we, um, during one of the storms, we suffered some pretty good damage to. Well, it basically ripped off our deck on the water side. Right. Ripped out our air conditioner underneath and did you know did some other damage. Um, so we've been working with the. You know, working with Shirkston and working with uh, home renovators and such, trying to get everything sort of put back together, and hopefully, in the not too long distant future. Uh, uh, when do, when do you open up again uh, to go in there? Well, it's supposed to be this year because of COVID. They were going to open up early, so they're going to open up. I think it was the twenty-sixth. However, we're not permitted. Well, we won't be permitted to enter um, until our repairs are completed because the town of town of Port Colborne is issued us a notice uh, basically saying it's unsafe so oh wow okay you have to fix it before um, and get them to inspect it before they'll let you uh, re-enter so we're hoping that's not going to take too uh, too long because it is a beautiful spot it is a a spectacular spot I mean the one thing in our favor is that the um, over the over the last couple of months 
they've actually been uh, bulking up, if you will, the uh, retaining wall at the water. Yeah. Uh, so we were there for the first time on this past Monday. And it's, you know, it's been a couple of months since we've been able to get in there. And uh, it looks it looks spectacular from that perspective. I mean, we'd almost need a, a monsoon to come over before it'll do anything like it did before. Right, yeah. Okay. It's, just, it's, just, it's just too bad it wasn't done last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to have to uh, find a time when this will work where we can actually sit down and enjoy a beverage because uh, just we're long overdue. Uh, you, me, and several others, uh, we're all talking about uh, doing something, and uh, certainly uh, a reunion up at your place would be fun, and uh, yes. I'm sure we can go up to Wally's as well. And if not mine, I'm sure that uh, our friend down the lake, uh, Diana, would probably want to entertain us on her waterfront property as well. Yeah, so we've got... It's even only for a couple hours. Yeah, we got got, uh, locations, we just need the things to open up and... And uh, we'll be uh, all all good. But uh, I usually uh, I usually like to end my podcasts, uh, Blair. I always want uh, my guests to pick a song, uh, their favorite song, or a song of their choice going out of the podcast. Because I always like to add music at the end. Um, what comes to mind? <laughs> Put you wow. on the spot. Um, I think the only thing that comes to mind right off the top of my head is pulling muscles from Michelle. And the reason reason behind that is because it's a song that uh, um, reminds me of my brother. Okay. When I used to pick him up um, to drive him to work for several months, I'm not even sure what year it was, uh, uh, for whatever reason, this song always seemed to be on the radio in his apartment. Okay. And yeah. So with Argy Bargy pulling muscles from Michelle, uh, okay. it's a it's a very lively it's a very lively song, and uh, every time I hear it, I'll, I, all I think of is picking him up and driving him to work. Uh, yeah. How how long has he how long has he been gone now, Blair? It's been uh, I want to say five years now. Wow. Five years already. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Seems like a long time ago, but sometimes it seems like it was yesterday. Well, we'll we'll, we'll certainly uh, get that song in there, and uh, you'll be able to listen, uh, re-listen to this, and it can remind you a little bit of him and uh, good memories, and certainly all of the things that you do and your volunteer work and everything else is uh, greatly appreciated, and uh, I commend you for all of that. I think it's been great, and I think uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on the Strictly Personal Podcast. All right, buddy. Appreciate your time. All right. Take care, Dr. Yeah.